Take your Bibles now and let's learn from uh, Pastor Paul, uh, Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 24. And we're going to finish chapter 1 today, ninth week in chapter 1. We're going to finish it, verses 24 through 29. So we have 32 minutes. And I want you guys to write down in your notes, because I know you guys are note takers. Here's the title of today's sermon, Five Things You Must Do When You're Suffering. And just so you guys know, after you've sat through a 32-minute teaching on suffering, your chances of suffering increase by 100%. So ushers, go ahead and lock the doors, and uh, no, one's, no one's leaving. And you might say, why did I come to church today? Five things you must do when you're suffering. And if you're going to suffer, it's not really the question. Have you guys lived long enough to figure that out? Man, it's, it's, it's what you're going to do when you suffer. Is it going to be hard? The answer is yes. Is it going to be difficult? Will there be challenges? Will there be unplanned obstacles in your life? The answer is yes. What will you do in those obstacles and unplanned difficulties? Five things you must do when you are suffering. Now, let's just be honest, though. Nobody likes to suffer. Did you notice in that little infograph that uh, Adam had up there, there was some Advil, some Aleve, you know, some want to alleviate the suffering. None of us like suffering. Raise your hand if you like suffering, okay? Any liars here today? Nobody's you know, super spiritual. I love it, you know. I mean, we don't, we don't love suffering. As a matter of fact, we avoid it. And if we see suffering in our future, we're going to take an alternate route to get around it. We avoid it. We medicate it. We ignore it. We minimize it. Here's the deal, though. Suffering is a major part of our lives. It's a major part of everything. As a matter of fact, how many of you guys like entertainment? You like movies? Anybody like watching movies? Every single movie has some form of suffering involved with it. Okay, we have all kinds of different genres for it. We call it, you know, action-adventure, okay? That means suffering, okay? We, we, we call it a drama film. That's suffering, okay? We call it a chick flick. That's major suffering, okay? It's just, <laughs> ma- I'm, <laughs> you laugh. It's, suffer- it's all suffering, you know, with actors and script. And I don't know the percentage of movies that actually end well, but we like them because, oh my gosh, it's, it's intense and it's hard. I can't believe it. And then, ah, oh, there's resolution at the end. Most movies have good resolution where the bad guy dies, the good guy wins, and it all comes back together. There's a few movies. You ever watch those movies, though, that end like as bad as they started? You ever watch the movie Buried with Ryan Reynolds? Okay, it's a 2010 flick. If you haven't watched it yet, spoiler alert, plug your ears, but here it comes. Okay, it was a $5,000 budget movie. It only cost $5,000 to make. Then they had to pay $2 million to pay the actors, but 5,000 bucks because it took 17 days to film and it was filmed in a box. Every single scene is filmed in the same location from a coffin. Ryan Reynolds, it opens up. The first scene, he opens up, and he's in a coffin, and he's been buried. That's why it's called buried. He's buried alive, and he's got a Zippo lighter, and he's got a phone, and he's been buried by terrorists. And the whole thing, it's... And you're watching this movie, and he's got some instructions, and he calls for help, and he gets the instructions, and at the very end, the rescuers are coming, and he's on the phone with the negotiator, and they're digging, and the dirt's coming in, and all of a sudden, at the very end, they're digging in the wrong spot. They've discovered the wrong coffin in Afghanistan. It's not him. It's somebody else, and the movie ends, and he dies, and you go to bed that night angry and sad, and You guys don't have to watch it now. I couldn't, I'm still scarred to this day. I just had to, emotional therapy, I had to share that with you guys. We don't mind suffering as long as we win in the end, right? Your team goes into double overtime. It's only good, man, the game was so good, double overtime. Well, it's only so good because you won. The other team, the Beavers, they lost, you know, double overtime. And you guys know it's tough. You can't always win. Just write this down. You can't always win, but you will always suffer. It's just going to happen. 
What I'm getting towards, I'm kind of trying to prime the pump. Here's what I really want you guys to do. I want you guys today to have a theology of suffering that is biblical and accurate, a doctrine of suffering, because when suffering comes your way, you must know theologically where God is and what God is doing, because people go crazy when suffering hits their doorstep. People assume all kinds of crazy things when suffering happens. There's this one story in the book of Acts where Paul is bitten by a snake and he's just shipwrecked on this island and the natives there see him bit by a snake and they theologically inaccurate say, oh, he must be a murderer. He's a murderer. The snake bit him. Well, they're wrong. They see devastation come his way and they assume something bad happened. Jesus' own disciples did this in John 9. They saw a guy who was born blind from birth and like, who, who sinned? His parents or him? Which, who, who done it? Remember Jesus' answer? No. Nobody sinned that this man was born blind. I mean, trip, trip, trip. Jesus said it wasn't because of their sin or his sin. Can you imagine a little baby in the womb sinning, coming up blind? Like, I did something to myself, you know. That was their theology. John 9, Jesus says that the glory of God may be revealed in him. This man was born blind. So you're going to need an extra cup of coffee to figure that one out. You mean suffering was God's plan for that man? Suffering was part of God's intention for that man. It wasn't a sin. It wasn't. Good theology is necessary because while we want to avoid suffering, we can't. It is a major part of our life. And if you don't understand what's going on, you're going to make silly mistakes along the way. You can't minor in suffering in college. There's no how to suffer classes in high school. Now, there's one sport that teaches suffering. It's wrestling. You guys ever wrestled before? Man, my boys wrestled, and I wrestled in college, and I remember the first practice, Noah and Nemo, they're like five years old and four years old, and I was fired up, wrestling dad, wrestling boys, like wrestling practice, and like within 10 minutes, they're both crying, and I was like, oh, forgot to tell you, it hurts, you know, like <laughs> losing hurts. Did you know that in wrestling, even winning hurts? Like you're all bloody and beat up, like I won. <laughs> you don't look like you won. Suffering's part of our lives. Nothing you can do to avoid it. And here's the challenge, and I want to put this out there. And, and I'm going to be real careful to, to be sensitive because your suffering is your suffering, isn't it? I don't know your darkness. I don't know your pain. You do. But in the years that I've been a pastor, I've seen people go through the exact same situation, listen, with two separate responses. I've seen people lose their health and respond differently. I've seen people lose their children and respond differently. I've seen people lose their spouses and respond differently. Some become better, believe it or not. Some become bitter. You can understand this. Will suffering come your way? Will unexpected tragedies knock on your door? <laughs> I'm not going to lie to you. The answer is yes. They will. And the theology that we have goes all the way back to the book of Job where Job was being challenged by Satan and Satan said, the only reason Job worships you, the only reason his theology is leading into a doxology, which is worship, the only reason why he's responding this way is because his life's so good. And so Satan said, let's go ahead and challenge Job. Let's take everything away from him. Suffering is now at his doorstep. What's Job's response gonna do? The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord, chapter one, tears flowing. By the way, tears flowing Okay. Your pain is real. Your trauma, the abuse, the situation is real. What I'm not going to ask you to do today or in, entertain anybody towards is minimizing your pain, pretending it doesn't exist. It's okay. It's, it might not be okay. It might be very bad. 
And yet, simultaneously, in tandem, running parallel with that truth, it is bad. Is your God still good? Is your God still good? He's good all the time, and all the time he's good. Even in the midst of tragedy. And this is a theology that you must have for yourself, you must have for the people around you. Otherwise, you're going to be twisted and tweaked when things get weird. A weird theology crept into the Ashland Christian Fellowship a couple years ago when I was on staff about 15 years ago, and there was this gentleman on the East Coast, and he developed this theology that said if there is any kind of physical suffering in your life, that you can pinpoint it to a direct sin that you're committing, and if you repent of that sin, that suffering will be alleviated and it'll go away from you. So really, balls in your court, no matter what you have, depression, cancer, all kinds of illness, all, you just have to look within and find the sin. And so I remember I was actually, I went to Georgia to help refute this guy, and I was with some friends uh, trying to save them from this, what I believe is false doctrine. And I was there, I was eight-hour conferences during the day, eight-hour seminars, and they were really hard chairs. And I remember about four days into it, my back began to hurt really bad because of the chairs, and I went to an usher. I said, hey, do you guys have any softer chairs? He's like, what's wrong? I said, my back really hurts from these chairs. He said, maybe there's sin in your life. (laughs) I said, there hasn't been sin, but there's about to be sin if you don't get me a softer chair. Like, (laughs) you know? It was messed up. It was so messed up that my wife was pregnant at the time, and actually she suffered a miscarriage during that time. And, and as she was going through that miscarriage, I remember I was in Georgia, and I flew home, and, and, I, was, and I was coming home, and, and when I got home, finally, we were both weeping and mourning together. And, and one of the well-meaning people that had fallen into this bad theology said, you know what? If you guys would have prayed harder, that baby wouldn't have died. And I understood where she was coming from, what she'd meant, what she'd believed in, this false, this bad theology. And I was able to, with confidence, say, no, that's not the truth. That's not the truth. In all things, God is good. And we trust him in all things. And we did pray hard, and God's will be done. Getting real personal now. Two months later, my wife became pregnant again with the kid in the back there named Noah. And as I stand on this stage now thinking through, like, hey, does God know what he's doing? Was it hard? Was it difficult? Was God good in it? And you have to have, did we cry? Did it take a while to, to overcome? Is there still questions? Absolutely. And in your pain and your trauma, you may never have the answers of why, why, but you can and should ask the question, what, Lord, would you have me to learn from this? What, Lord, are you going to do in this? What, Lord, do you want to do in me and, and, and through me, and what will you do for me? And those questions you can ask because life is going to be tough for you, but God is going to be, remain good for you as well. A good theology of suffering. And this can be confusing, can it? You ever do your best to raise your kids, and yet the next thing you know, they're They're crying. And maybe they're confused. Maybe they can't have what they want or they're going through some disciplinary system or something's happening. And you as their parent, you're invested and committed to this kid, but your kid is confused in that moment. They look at you with tears coming out of their eyes and they're confused. And yet you as their mom or dad know best. Even though this hurts, I love you. I love you. No matter what the suffering you go through. And two things before we look at five things. Okay, you're gonna write some stuff down today. Two things before we look at five things. The two things we need to focus on when we're suffering is that we live our lives 
from victory and for eternity. Okay, write that down. We are living from a victorious point of view. We're not wondering who's going to win. This isn't a beaver game. It's already been figured out, okay? We know that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, and we are victorious. Nothing can stop him, no matter what. Paul goes on in Romans chapter 8 to say, not death, not life, not height, not depth, nor width, nor any other created thing, things above, things below, things everywhere, or even things imagined. He said, nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Are you victorious today? Even when the doctor says it's cancer? Are you victorious? See, we're living from victory, and we're living for eternity. It's not just about now. Did you know that if you lose everything, if you lose things, if you lose substance, if you lose resources, if you lose freedoms, if you lose it down here, you still are victorious up there forever? It's not just an etern- or a temporal viewpoint. It is an eternal viewpoint. From victory for eternity, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. This is what allowed the early church to march to the stakes to be burned by fire. This is what allowed the early church to go in and fight with gladiators to the death and to be ripped limb from limbs with chariots and to suffer and to die with smiles on their face and prayers coming out of their mouth for their accusers. Man, we're calling a lawyer if somebody cuts us off. Like, I'm pretty sure it was illegal. It was illegal for sure. You know, I feel super offended, you know taking pictures of people's car, but this guy cut me off, man, I'm so offended. You know what I mean? And if you understand, we have victory. It's not even a question. Okay, you can do all things. And it's not just about here and now. It is going to end soon, and we are going to be delivered from this body of death into eternity forever and ever. If you don't have this type of theology, you're going to make stuff up, you're going to freak out, because suffering makes us ask a lot of questions, and the best question is not, why is this happening? But Lord, what are you going to do? What are you going to do in this situation? One of the best examples of good theology when it comes to suffering is found in the Old Testament. It's in the book of Genesis, and it's from Joseph. Joseph lived a life of suffering, the youngest in his family until his brother Benjamin came along. And he found himself rejected by his dad, ridiculed by his brother, sold into slavery, maligned and misled into prison, forgotten and abandoned, and eventually living and working for the prince of Egypt there in Egypt, Pharaoh. And as he was living his life in that state and in that condition, he found himself coming to the end of his road. And what he saw in that time is that what they had intended, I'll read it to you. This is Genesis 50, verse 20. It might be up on the screen. Joseph says it this way. He says, but as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. Guys, tuck this verse away. Is there evil happening right now around us? Is it freaking you out? Is it freaking you out a little bit? The injustice, the, the corruption, the chaos, it's happening, okay? It's, it's always been that way. And Joseph had theology to say, yeah, it's evil, but guess what, my God's, my God, my God's able to take all things and work them together for good. You mean Joseph was sold into slavery? Joseph was forgotten? Joseph was betrayed? Joseph was blackmailed? All these things happened. Joseph at the end, he wasn't even mad or bitter. He's like, this is crazy. Man, you guys meant evil for real. I'm going to let it go. Because God used it to save many people alive. This kind of theology will allow you to suffer, will allow you to mourn, will allow you to walk through the valley of the shadow of death, saying God is good all the time, and all the time God is good. I'm going to say it. I already said it, but 
I'm not trying to minimize your pain, minimize your loss. I'm not trying to do away with the victimization or the abuse that has happened to you. Joseph was a prime example of victimization and abuse. He was hurt, slandered, maligned, lost everything. And he cried and it hurt and he was lonely. He was in prison. It was horrible. He suffered. And yet as he suffered, the Lord was able to take that which was being worked in him and work it out of him. I love how God illustrates this simply in, in creation. Have you ever seen a, a, a pearl? pearl comes out of an oyster, and, and it comes from an irritation that, that wasn't supposed to be there. A grain of sand finds its way inside of an oyster, and the oyster has no way to get rid of it, and so instead he embraces it. He embraces this irritation, this, this thing, and he covers it with grace and a, a lacquer and a secretion over and over again until it produces this beautiful gem. So too in your life, there's things you can't get rid of. You can't stop. You can't change it. Maybe even today you say, hey, Lord, I don't know what this means, but I'm just going to accept it. Would you give me grace to accept it? Help me to walk through the valley of the shadow of death, and Lord, would you produce something beautiful? Diamonds come from coal that is only produced through time, pressure, and heat. God will do beautiful things in you if you will let him do it. In order to have a good theology, let me give you 11 ways um, that we suffer. These are 11 types of suffering. I'm going to rip through these quickly because we, we want to get to the text. I haven't even got to the text yet. Well, we can suffer through this, can't we, together? Can't we? Okay, here's the 11, 11 things you guys can write. There's Adamic suffering. That is suffering that comes because we are Adam's kids. Because Adam and Eve fell, the whole entire world is cursed. The ground's cursed, work's cursed, you're cursed, I'm cursed, she's cursed, he's cursed. Everything's cursed. It's just, man, the world's cursed now. It wasn't before, but now it is. We all understand this, right? You've been to Walmart before. It, it makes sense. We get it. Number two, there's corporate suffering, not just Adamic suffering, but there's corporate suffering. This is when you suffer because somebody else is, is hurting the whole entire group. This would be like terrorism where it's something that happens in New York or in Washington and we all suffer. There's corporate suffering. There's also consequential suffering. You do dumb things and you get dumb results. Okay, you, you spend too much, you're in debt, you're now suffering. You eat too much and you find yourself sick. You drink too much and your liver begins to fail you. You ignore your friends, you don't have relationships. There are all kinds of consequential suffering. Why am I here? And I could give you a whole reason why you're here. And we find ourselves there. Not just consequential, but punishment suffering. We commit crimes or sins and we suffer. There's persecution suffering. This is when you give your life to Jesus, you decide to take a stand for him and you get persecuted because of that. You go to family events, and everyone's like, oh, here comes that kooky Christian. Now he's probably going to want to pray before we eat, you know, and always making us feel bad. And you get persecuted in various ways. There's also a preparatory suffering, okay? I mentioned Joseph. Joseph was prepared in all of his suffering to be the man he was. I was thinking about my life. My mom and dad are sitting right here in front of me. And when I was about 10 years old, I began to work, do odd jobs. And I remember my dad would take me to this guy's house named Dewey. He was a rabbit farmer and this old man. And, and my dad was friends with him. And so he had all of this rabbit hutch and poop everywhere and stuff. And so I remember they'd bring me there as a little 10-year-old kid and drop me off. And I would shovel rabbit poop for like two years straight. It was actually like three or four hours, but I just remember like it wasn't fun, you know, I had a Gatorade and some poop, you know, and just my dad would take off and come pick me up and I'd get two bucks an hour or whatever. And I just, I, I remember later on in life, I, I thank God that my dad exposed me to hard work and doing things I don't want to do. It prepared me to then be the man that God wants me to be. And sometimes you're suffering, what's going on? God's preparing you for what he's going to use you in. Sometimes we, wanna, we want the bill of sale, we want the receipt, we want the itemization. Right now, what's going on here? And the Lord says, hey, don't even worry about it. This is going to make so much sense in seven years. You're like, what? Seven years, you know. Trust the Lord. He's preparing you. There's also testimonial suffering. God is actually going to let you suffer in certain ways that you might be able to help others as they suffer in certain ways. 
2 Corinthians chapter 1 says, the comfort we receive in our suffering is so we can give comfort to others in their suffering. You ever been around somebody that you've been through that loss? You, you buried a spouse, you buried a kid, you lost a job, you took chemotherapy, you went through that, you, hey, 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 let's get together, I know that one. I know that one and you've been through stuff. There's also providential suffering. There's no other way to accomplish God's plan other than to go through that suffering. There's empathetic suffering. Parents understand this one. This is when you're suffering because the people around you, the closest to you are hurting. My pastor said it this way. He said, you're only as well as your sickest kid. I'll say it differently. You're only as well as your sickest loved one. Somebody's hurting around you. You're suffering. It's not even you. You're just suffering empathetically. Two more. We're going to move on. There's satanic suffering. This is what we call spiritual warfare. You're just suffering, and you think it's a, a, a battle. The enemy's out to get you. Okay, don't under, by the way, I, I, I tend to blow it on this one the most. I just, I'm like wondering whose fault it is, and it's my, my wife's fault. It's my kid's fault. It's my neighbor's fault. You know, it's the devil. He's right there messing with me. And the last thing is I'm just going to put it this way. There's mysterious suffering. You don't know. You don't know what's going on. It could be one or two or three of all the list above. These aren't mutually exclusive. You can have any one of these kind of creep up in your life at any time. So the question isn't, will you suffer? The question is, is what will you do when you suffer? Five things you must do when you're suffering. Uh, number one, know your role in suffering. There's five things I want you to write down. Number one is know your role in suffering, verses 24 and 25. Look at this, verses 24 and 25. Paul says it this way. He says, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you. And I fill up in my flesh, which is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. Paul says, I rejoice in my sufferings. I'm, Paul's writing this letter from jail. He's been suffering. He will suffer. And he's been able to zoom out and say, you know what? I'm not rejoicing for my sufferings. Can I get an amen from somebody? I'm rejoicing in my sufferings. There's a huge difference. We don't rejoice for our sufferings, we rejoice in them, okay? You get in a big car wreck, you jump out, woo, I love car wrecks, you know. No, 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 no. You get in a car wreck and you don't die, you jump out, woo, I didn't die in the car wreck, you know, rejoicing in the trial, not for it. And Paul says, I rejoice in my sufferings. But in this verse, these two verses I read to you, he says, I, my, my, I, me, and fulfill the word to be a minister to you. Let me say it this way. Paul knew his role in the sufferings of God. Why was he suffering? Because God had contracted Paul to be the apostle to the Gentiles, and it's going to cost him something. What's your role in suffering? Why is it difficult for you? Know who you are in Christ Jesus, and then you won't make mistakes along the way. Know your role in suffering. Paul was a single male, no kids, no wife. Most believe his wife had either left him or had died. He never had kids. And so he found himself serving the church, listen, to the point of suffering. It cost him everything. And when you know who you are and it hurts you to be single, okay, the Bible says for young people, okay, flee youthful lust. Okay, the Bible says if you're single, you can actually serve God with more zeal than married people. It says if you have more time on your hands, you should be about the king's business. That's what it says. Well, that's gonna cost me something. That's gonna be difficult. That's gonna require an investment. That's called suffering. Know your role. What if you're a husband? What if you're a wife? It's gonna be difficult to be married, difficult to sacrifice for this person. They say in marriages, there's three rings. There's the engagement ring, the wedding ring, and suffering. <laughs> I don't know if that's true or not. Not for my marriage, you know. I don't know what you got, you know. It's difficult to be married. It's like, oh, it's hard to be. Are you, are you a husband? Sacrifice for your wife. Wash her with the water of the word. Love her like Christ loved the church. If you're a wife, you've got to give yourself over to your husband in that way. It might sacrificially cost you. 
suffering. Maybe you're a mom or dad living everything you've given, especially moms, man. They give their whole entire bodies away to grow kids and to birth kids and to raise kids and to care for kids. And everything is sacrificial and suffering. Listen, for the sake of somebody else. Most of us are born selfish and we live selfish and we die selfish. And yet God asks us not to be selfish, listen, but to be sacrificial. Five things a Christian must do if you're going to suffer well, if you're going to know how to do this. You need to know your role in suffering. Who's God called you to be? I don't know. I know who I am. I'm a husband. Okay? God's called me to suffer and to sacrifice for my wife's well-being, to live for her betterment. That's what he's called me to do. I'm a dad. I got three kids. God's called me to live for their best interests, to give myself away, to deny my silly, selfish hobbies and all the things I want to do for Luke Frechette and to live for them. God's called me to be a pastor, to live for this church, to live for the gospel, to live for this community, to give myself over time in and time again. And every time Luke Frechette decides to be just a little bit selfish, guess what that takes me? Guess, how, guess what that costs me? It's not, not worth it. It takes me places I don't want to go and gets me things I don't want to deal with. Know your role. Number two, suffer like Jesus did. Look at verse 24 again. He says, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking, listen, in the afflictions of Christ. You see, Jesus Christ is our example. He suffered. He's our model. He's the one who goes before us and shows us what it looks like. And he suffered for us. And Paul says, I'm going to suffer like Jesus. Now, let me just go in and time out real quick. This verse has led to some confusion for people. They read this and say, so Paul's going to help Jesus in his suffering? What's that mean? It means exactly what it says. Paul is going to help Jesus in what is lacking in his suffering. Notice what it didn't say. It didn't say Paul is going to help Jesus in his saving others. Does Jesus need help saving anybody? No. Okay, make sure you guys know this. Some people have been confused in this verse. Cult leaders have taken this verse. As a matter of fact, certain denominations have taken this verse and said that after we die, there's more work to be done called, called purgatory. And this is the verse that they use in order to prove that there's, there's more that we got to do, more that we got to do. Let me just give you a pro tip here. Anytime there's a verse that is semi-confusing, okay, it's like, well, I don't know what that means. You must interpret the Bible with the Bible. Amen? Okay, so when there's a confusing, semi-confusing verse, interpret the semi-confusing verse with all of the other verses that are very clear. Okay, there are innumerable verses that are very clear about solo Christo, Christ, solo Christ, Jesus alone. Jesus is the only one that saves us. It's by grace alone and not of works, lest anybody should boast. There's nothing we can do to add to the plan of salvation. Amen? Amen? But now that you're saved, you, like Paul, need to suffer like Jesus. This is not an American message. This is not a popular message. Paul says, I rejoice in my sufferings that I might fulfill and fill up that which is lacking in the sufferings of Christ. What in the world is he talking about? Jesus said, you're not greater than your master. If I suffered, you're gonna suffer. If they persecuted me, don't be surprised they persecute you. If they hate you, they hated me first. If you're going to follow after Jesus, there is going to be a difficulty that you find yourself living in. Now, again, we don't like this. We avoid this. We don't wanna do this. And he said, no, this is, you gotta do it. You don't even need to be creative in your suffering, by the way. It'll come knocking your, don't, don't freak out. It's, it's got your number. It's got your address, you know. Mail doesn't deliver on Sunday. You're good, but tomorrow, watch out. Suffering's coming your way. And wouldn't it be awesome if you knew your role in suffering so you weren't freaking out? It's hard to be single. It's hard to be married. It's hard to be a mom. It's hard to be a dad. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Figure it out. What if also, though, you said, I'm going to suffer like Jesus. I'm going to trust God. I'm going to let God do in me what is lacking in Christ. Let me use a silly illustration here. Jesus paid everything for your race, but you still have to run it. Anybody ever run a marathon before? Raise up your hand, marathon runners. 
saw that. When you run a marathon, one of the most surprising things isn't that it's 26.2 miles. For me, the most surprising thing ever when you sign up for your first marathon is that it costs about 150 bucks. Am I right or am I right? And you're like, 150 bucks? You know, I got to run and what? And if you run an ultra marathon, it's even more. And if you run, uh, if you run an Ironman, it's like 1000 bucks. I've never done an Ironman. It's crazy. You're doing all the work and it's kind of like salvation. Jesus says, I'm going to pay for you. You're all signed up. You're good to go. Here's your bib number, which has your number, and here's your timing chip, and you can, it's free. What do I got to do? Run and suffer. I remember when I did the Portland Marathon a couple years ago. It was interesting because it was a very popular race, and a lot of people wanted to run without paying. They just enjoy the, 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 create, the chaos and the fun and the energy. So all these people were running without bib numbers and without timing chips until they got to mile marker 17, which was the St. John's Bridge, and they had a big cutoff. They said, if you haven't paid, you can't get on the bridge. And they would actually stop people from going onto the bridge at the 17-mile marker because they hadn't paid for their race. Which, by the way, the 17-mile marker at the St. John's Bridge was right when the suffering got real bad, too. That's right when I realized I wasn't a runner. I was a faker, and I shouldn't have even been there. <sighs> Suffer like Jesus did. This might help you. You can't add to the salvatory, saving work of Jesus Christ. It is finished. Know this. However, your suffering matters to Jesus. Again, this is not a popular message today. This is not an American message. This is not something we, we care about. We don't like suffering. We're going to avoid it. We're not going to sacrifice any more than we, than, than we maybe want to and still keep our creature comforts. I get it. And yet there's something within our suffering that makes us like Jesus. Paul said something crazy in the book of Philippians. We're going to read that after Colossians. He said that I suffer that I might know him better. Don't raise your hand because you're going to set yourself up for suffering. But how many of you guys want to know Jesus better? It might require some suffering. Now, if you're suffering right now, wouldn't it be awesome if you just took a pivot flex and said, maybe that's what God's doing. Maybe he wants my full undivided attention. Maybe that's, maybe I want it back to normal. I want to get back to healthy. I want to get back to married. I want to get back to this. I want to get back to this. And God's like, I just want you. And I'm going to allow roadblocks. I'm going to allow situations. I'm going to allow the St. John Bridge in your life to get your attention. He wants to spend more time with you. He also wants to make you like him. You're going to be conformed into his image through suffering. He also uses your suffering the same way Jesus suffered. Remember when Jesus was on the cross and he died, and as soon as he breathed his last, that Roman guy was watching the whole time? And the Roman guy's conclusion was, that's the son of God. What the heck? We just killed the son of God. He figured it out. He saw him suffer. He'd heard his teaching, saw the miracles, and it was when he saw him suffer. And the way he suffered, he said, Jesus is real. Jesus is real. We have a really big sign on the warehouse that says, Jesus is real. You guys see that when you pull in? Isn't that cool? Isn't that cool? You guys are billboards. And people wonder, is Jesus real? And you might believe Jesus is real. And I believe Jesus is real. And we believe Jesus is real. But when people see you suffer, they see Jesus is real. Why did Jesus suffer? Couldn't Jesus have come down with a crown on his thorn or on his head already? You know, like on the white horse? He's God already. Why did he have to come in that way? For the same reasons you and I suffer. God is doing things through us. Know your role in suffering. Suffer like Jesus did. I got three more points. We're going to do it in like 90 seconds, guys. This is not going to be fun. But we're going to do it. We're going to do it anyways. Okay, number, number three. Trust the process, even if it's a mystery. Look at verses 26 through 27. 
He tells us that he's going to fulfill the word of God, and he says it in verse 26, the mystery, which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. To them, God will to make known what are the riches of the glory of his mystery among the Gentiles, which is, the, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Stop right there, eyes up here. Did you know that in your sufferings, even during the mystery, God knows what he's doing? Trust the process. This is maybe the easiest thing you're gonna do in your entire life. You wanna figure it out, don't you? Don't you wanna figure it out, who done it? Call a lawyer, do a recount, see who should be the president, you know, figure it out. We gotta weigh it and check it out. Hey, just trust the process. Trust the process. A couple years ago, my wife and I had the opportunity to build a house in Agate Beach, 2010. We poured foundation on December 15th, 2010. It was a day like today, it was, it was raining. And, and I'll tell you what, there's a mysterious process of building a house, isn't there? And if I would have shown up with the intention to build a house with my roof and hammer, day one, all right, I got my roof and hammer, need a roof for a house. And day one, they bring the tractors out and they do the excavation. I'm like, ah, oh, that's not a roof, that's a horrible house, you know, and I'm all devastated. No, no, it's just part of the process. And then the next day, they show up with the, the concrete guys and they pour the foundation. I got my hammer, like, oh, it's a horrible roof. You know, it's not the roof. Chill out, bro. Then the next day, they put the, you know, the flooring in. Oh, that's a horrible. And, and then they put the flooring on finally. For the, you know, you're like, okay, it's a pretty small roof, but I'll take it. And the Lord says, no, no, it's just the beginning. And there's so many steps. This is what Paul says here, and we might not have time to unpack these. That's okay, we'll, we'll do it next week. He says, of which I became a minister, verse 25, according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God, the mystery, which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but has now been revealed to his saints. And as a matter of fact, because of time, I'm just gonna end with this thought. Trust the process. Now, just put yourself in Paul's cell for just a second. Paul was the smartest Jew to ever live. He would give his testimony many times, and he would say, I know more than everybody. I, I'm not trying to be boastful. I just do. I'm a smart guy. I read more than you. I went to yeshiva longer than you. I'm, just, of, of every, I'm the most zealous, according to the law, than you. And here's Paul saying, guys, the mystery has been revealed in Jesus Christ. It wasn't revealed to Abraham. God told Abraham, follow me. I want to make you a father of many nations. Awesome. Did that ever happen for Abraham? Did that ever happen? No. Abraham had one son. That's it. Like, this isn't very many nations. Just one son. And at one point in his journey, God's like, now sacrifice him. Like, oh, it doesn't make sense. You know, and he goes to sacrifice him. It's a mystery. And it wasn't even for Isaac. Isaac didn't get the promise. And Jacob didn't get the promise. And then Joseph didn't get the promise, and Moses didn't get the promise, and Joshua didn't get the promise, and the judges didn't get the promise, and the kings didn't get the promise, and, and Nehemiah didn't get the promise, and Daniel didn't get the promise. Nobody got the promise. And all of a sudden, Paul's like, this is crazy. The mystery. Mystery in this context doesn't mean that which is unknown, but that which was previously unknown has now been revealed. We know. We now know. And Paul's in jail saying, this is crazy. The, the, the whole covenant, everything was pointing to Jesus Christ, which is the mystery of God, which, listen, Christ in you, the hope of glory. There's two more points, and we're gonna pick up on this one next week, but I want you guys to consider this as you go through your suffering this week. Trust the process. You think God's done right now? He's absolutely not done. People are freaking out. Yesterday, I was at a soccer game with my son Noah, and, and Paul Riley and his son Caden were, were there, and and Paul and I were talking about the last two years of chaos and COVID and all the rest. 
and talk about the, com- the, the current complexities and the future complexities. And we were able to sit there and, 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 and with sensitivity to people who have lost loved ones and people who have lost jobs and people who have lost their peace and lost their health and all those things, I was able to look with him. I said, you know what, though? Had it, had it not happened, had we just been allowed to go about our, I don't want to say silly, but our, our just doing, doing stuff. I don't know. I, I can't speak for you and where you're at right now, but I'm so grateful that the Lord has led us to where we're at and we have gone through what we've gone through. It is so much more creative than I would have done to stir up the body, to challenge the church, to grow Christians. I mean, we would have done so many cool things and outreaches, and and the Lord's like, I got a plan. How about I pull the e-brake on the world? Shut down. Is that complex to you? Just say yes, please. Is it a mystery to you? Yes, it is. Would it have been a mystery to Abraham? Sacrifice Isaac? All right. It's kind of whack, but you know, I'll go with it. And Abraham's dying now. Like I thought the promise and Isaac, I'll carry it on. And and Jacob, I'll, I'll see it to fruition, dad. No. Jacob dies in Egypt. Joseph comes on the scene. Well, it's going to be through me. And even Joseph dies. And Moses comes out. And Moses tries his best. And it doesn't work his way either. It's not going to work your way because it's not about you. It's not about me. This is great news. Trust the process. It's not over yet, guys. Is your suffering real? Have you buried somebody? God is good all the time, and all the time God is good. He's working in you a greater weight of glory. Father, I ask in Jesus' name now as we want to suffer well. Lord, we want to do the things you've called us to do, to be those Christians that shine bright, Lord, on display for your glory and for others' good. Lord, even as Paul said, I now fulfill that which is lacking in the sufferings of Christ. As mysterious as that verse is, may every single person here who's suffering, everyone who is at home suffering, every difficulty we find, may we not instead looking around us for some way to alleviate it or escape the pain, say, hey, Lord, would you be glorified? Would you make me more like you? Would you make me more into you? Would you make others more aware of you? Have your way in our lives, Lord. Forgive us of our sin. Maybe you have suffered and it didn't go well. Maybe you said things you wish you wouldn't have said, did things you wish you wouldn't have done. The Lord forgives you. He knows. He knows your weakness. He died for you. He covers you. Maybe you're suffering right now and you haven't done silly things, but maybe you're just so overwhelmed you can't even see straight and you just need God to minister to you right now. Would you just, as all eyes are bowed, all heads are, all, all, all eyes are closed. Would you just raise your hand right now if you need the Lord's help in sustaining you in your suffering? You want him to use your loss, use your difficulty, use your pain? Raise your hand if you want the Lord to identify your role in suffering. If you're a mom or you're a dad or you're a husband or a wife and it's hard for you and you need his anointing, raise up your hand. So I will suffer for you. Paul said, I'll suffer for the body of Christ. I've been called to this. Lord, forgive me of my sins. Forgive us, Lord, of our actions. Would you make us more like you? Even as the rains are falling, Lord, would you have your way and rain upon our hearts? Bless us. Bless the 11 a.m. services they're coming in too, Lord. Lead us and guide us, we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said?